So if you get the emails, all the dates for Iron Leadership are listed at the bottom of the email. So you can go ahead and put it in your calendar. If you don't get the email, put your name on the sign-up sheet as you leave, and we'll send you an email. And uh, if you want text reminders, then you uh, use the flock note there uh, that's on the video. Um, I think that's it. Before we get started, let me pray for us. Lord, as we come here this morning and think about leadership and what it means to be out front in some form, leading a family, leading a team, leading one other individual, a business, church. Would you help us um, have your heart and mind, and especially as we think about this topic this morning on forgiveness. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Most of you are familiar with a guy named, I'm not going to say his name right, Louis Zamparini, I think is his name. Uh, He was featured in a book called Unbroken and then a movie uh, with the same title. And um, he he was an Olympic runner and went into World War II, and he was in a plane accident over the Pacific, and 11 guys were in the plane, three guys survived, he was one of the three. And he was on a raft from the plane, I think it was for 47 days. It's hard to imagine being on a raft in the Pacific for that long. And he actually washed ashore, as you can imagine, if you can imagine, into a Japanese territory. So he crashes his plane, he's on a boat for, he's on a raft for 47 days, and he washes ashore basically into a POW camp. And he spends two years in the POW camp, 43 to 45, and then uh, he's released. And he really has, when you read, I I haven't seen the the whole movie, but when you read the book, which is really excellent, it's just horrible. It's It's really difficult to read and imagine. And one particular guard there was nicknamed the bird. Uh, Very cruel, very sadistic in his punishment of Lewis particularly, but others. And Lewis comes back and uh, has a redemptive story. He goes to a Billy Graham crusade, gets saved, talks about how that changes his heart and then changes his heart towards other people. And so in this little biography clip, it talks about um, what happened to him and uh, how he had to deal with forgiveness. So let's watch this and we'll talk about it from Matthew 18. He went through some terrible years where he was destroying his marriage, but Louis was saved by his wife's insistence that he go to see a sermon by Billy Graham, who at that time was a very young man, not very well known, but he was speaking in Los Angeles. Louis didn't want to go, but his wife was going to leave him, and he agreed on that basis to go see him speak. He sat in the back of the audience, and he was unhappy, and he was sullen. But Graham spoke of things that resonated with Louis, with his experience, about how God reaches into people's lives and helps them get through things that seem unsurvivable. I think all the prisoners have basically made the same prayer 
get me home alive to my family, God, and I'll seek you, I'll serve you. And you make promises while you're under a dire situation. But uh, how many of them keep her promise? I didn't. And so my life fell apart. And it was at that moment that he made this realization to, to himself that he thought God had actually helped him through this and he owed God something. And he realized what he needed to do. So I went forward in a meeting and made my confession of faith in Christ and I couldn't believe what happened. While I was still on my knees, my life changed in a matter of moments because I knew I was through getting drunk and I knew that I forgave my guards and I knew it was a miracle because I forgave the bird. And, and that was the first night. The first night in two and a half years, I didn't have a nightmare and I haven't had one since. And Louis realized that God can forgive him for all the rotten things he did in his life, that he ought to be able to forgive those that had done him wrong. So forgiving the guards and the bird uh, was actually salvation for him. It really turned him around in an instant. He decided he needed to test his forgiveness to see if he really had truly achieved it. And he went back to Japan to meet the guards who had, who had abused him so terribly. And he went to Sagamo prison where they were all being held for war crimes. He went to every single one and looked him in the eye and told him that he forgave him for mm -hmm. the treatment that he received when he was a prisoner of war. He felt no animosity. He just felt compassion and they couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. It was, it was a wonderful experience. He knew he had truly forgiven them. I think it's incredible that he forgave them. That's a lesson that he taught my father and me. By hating somebody, I'm not hurting them. I'm only hurting myself. You can forgive anybody. Forgiveness is always possible. I don't know how you would feel about that. I mean, what's incredible is you think, I don't know if I could do that, right? I confessed my own sin and began to forgive the prison guards, even the bird. See, something had to happen inside of him. There had to be a realization about himself with the Lord before anything could happen between him and someone else. The, one of his sons says forgiveness for him was salvation. It, it turned him around. It, it turned him around away from himself towards the Lord and then turned him around towards other people. You know, he said, I, I, knew, it, I knew it happened because I forgave the bird and then he went home and he didn't, the first time he didn't have a nightmare because something was turning around. And he met, then he went, he felt like it was necessary to go meet the guards face to face. And he, and he knew he was having forgiveness because when he looked at him, he felt compassion. Those are, those are all key components of forgiveness. And Jesus talks about it in this parable of Matthew 18. So let's look at it together and then we'll make some comments and you'll have some time to talk about it. Peter comes up to Jesus and uh, says, Lord, how often should we forgive our brothers 
so like seven times. And I think Peter's looking for a medal, like that's a lot. And then Jesus says, hey, I don't say to you seven times, but seven, 70 times seven. In other words, just an endless number of times. <clears throat> and then to give Peter a picture and the rest of the disciples, he tells this parable about the kingdom of heaven. It's compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So this king comes back to settle accounts, and one person that was brought to him owed 10,000 talents. It's a huge sum, $300 billion in our world. And since he couldn't repay his master, the master ordered him to be sold, his wife, his children, so payment could be made. And then the servant fell on his knees imploring the king, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. It's not possible. But he's just hoping for some kind of compassion. And then verse 27, which is the key verse we'll come back to, notice these three things. The king had pity for him. The king released him. The king forgave him. But then the servant goes out and he finds somebody who owes him money. Very small amount, a very uh, a, a small amount that you could actually pay back, a hundred denarii. And he sees him, he began to choke him. Pay what you owe. And the servants fell down, he basically pleaded for the same thing. I'll pay you, be patient. But the man refused to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw it, they came back to the king in distress. And then the king comes back to him and says, you're a wicked man. And he throws him into jail. And the end of the story, verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Very hard verse. So first thing I want to ask is just what fuels what fuels forgiveness, and then I want to ask about um, what does forgiveness entail from verse 27. What fuels forgiveness, and we won't have time to talk too long about this, is God's forgiveness of you. That's the fuel. You got, you've got to know that. You've got to have that pumped into your soul every day. It's not like I went to the Billy Graham crusade, I got forgiven, and then I move on. No, that forgiveness has to keep fueling your life just like you go to a gas station you always have to wake up and get this into your soul so you have the capacity to, to give it out and Romans talks about this uh, actually quoting an Old Testament uh, passage blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered covered blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them see that's got to be all the way down to the bottom that that you're blessed because God's not counting your sin against you. And that's got to set you free. That, that's just got to totally set you free. And part of that freedom is that I'm free to forgive. I have a capacity now to forgive. So my question is, what does the forgiveness entail? And I'm going to talk about these three things, pity, forgiveness, and release, because that's from verse 27. <clears throat> pity, pity. I mentioned this in the sermon. It's such a terrible or such a small English word, pity. It sounds like I feel sorry for you. Um, and it, when I hear it, it seems like you're sort of looking down. I pity, I pity the fool. Was that Mr. T? I look down, you know. 
But in the Greek, it's a great big word. It's a 14-letter word, splodjizomai. Just fun to say. Splodjizomai. It's, it's like your spleen. It's like your internal organs. I, I, I have something from the inside of me that feels compassion. Sometimes it's, it's not translated pity, it's compassion. I, my inside turns outside for you. I, I look at you, I put myself in your shoes, the person who's done me wrong, and I say, I, I, hey, I get it. I mean, I'm angry you've done me wrong, but you know what, I get it because I've done other people wrong. I've, I've actually done the Lord the most wrong and he's forgiven me. So no matter what you've done to me, I can at least have some compassion. Uh, I can have some empathy because I've been in your shoes. I know what it means to come and ask for forgiveness. But that's that, you know, when somebody's done you wrong, how hard is it to put yourself in their shoes at that moment? I mean, you're, what do you want to do? You want to choke the person, right? Well, I do. <clears throat> you just want to get them back. You want to say, you've damaged me. I'm going to damage you back. That's the first thing. But when, when you've been forgiven, your, your first step then is to step into their shoes and say, hey, I get it. I understand. I, I can feel this compassion. And it said this in the video, Louis felt compassion. I can't, again, I, it's hard for me to think about him going to this prison guard, shaking this man's hand who had tortured him and feeling compassion. Again, the only way that's fueled, the only way that's possible is this forgiveness from the Lord for him first. Frederick Beekner, great Christian writer, says uh, this, of the seven deadly sins, anger, you know, I'm going to choke somebody, is the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. I don't know if you've ever done that. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are, that you are given and the pain that you are giving back. In many ways, it's a great feast fit for a king. The chief drawback, listen, is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. That's exactly what he said in the video. It's, it's eating him up. Not, not being able to forgive, holding this in, this anger or bitterness or unforgiveness feels good for a little while. It feels like you're right, you're justified, and, and you may not physically choke the person, but you replay the tape and you say all the right things just at the right time with the right tone, and it tastes good, but you're devouring yourself. So one thing that forgiveness entails is to move away from that and have compassion. Second thing, I, I forgive. Again, all this is coming from one verse in verse 27. Forgiveness means you don't pay. God doesn't make us pay. That's the great thing about grace. You don't pay. 
He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Now you have to change the direction of your life, but, but you don't have to pay. He paid everything. He doesn't say, I paid most of it, and Paul, you owe me 1% or 10%. No, he paid all of it. And so you're going to pay, you're going to pay for the damage somebody's going to, has done to you. They're, they're coming and asking for forgiveness. They've damaged you in some way. And when you say, I forgive, that means I'm going to pay. So if somebody's damaged me, let's say I've damaged you, let's say it this way. You talk bad about the mighty purple paladins to me today, Furman University. And you picked the wrong day to mess with the purple paladins today, and I get frustrated and angry, and I know what car you drive, and I go out there with a hammer, pow, I'll show you. Don't you ever talk about my purple paladins that way one more time. And you come out and go, Paul, why'd you take the hammer to my windshield, you know? It's going to cost me $500 to get replaced. Ah, uh, I mean, sorry, I, I know I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. It's been a long week. It's Christmas. I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm overwhelmed. Will you, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? If you say yes, then I go home. But does that fix the windshield? No. See, somebody has to pay for the windshield. And you forgiving me means you pay. And a lot of us have dents in our lives. All of us have given dents. And you're asking for forgiveness. And what you're saying is, would you pay for the emotional damage that I've caused you? I can't take the words back. I mean, many of us, I don't want us to think about it too long, can think about words that rolled off that felt good for a moment and created a big dent, but then, then it was costly. And that person has to forgive, or if you go, they're forgiving you, but they gotta pay for it. They gotta stop bringing it to their mind just like you have to do it. And so forgiveness, we wanna make sure is not forgive and forget. It's forgiven and begin to try to move away from. But you're going to pay for damage if somebody's damaged you. I think this is why Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy burdened. I think a lot of the burdens have to do with forgiveness. I can't forgive myself for what I've done. I have a hard time forgiving someone else. I don't know if the other person can forgive me. I mean, if you, if you took that, those three things, that's a lot of burden. And Jesus gives us rest. So we're, we're gonna take compassion. We're gonna try to step into their shoes and say, you know what, I'm not really unlike you. I understand it. I'm gonna have pity. I'm gonna have compassion. I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna pay. I'm not gonna make you pay. And part of that is then I'm going to be released. You're going to release somebody. Great word in the Bible, release. Let it go. You're going to let it die. Corey Tim Boom says this, forgiveness is like letting go of a rope. 
attached to a great bell. So she grew up in Europe, and you can imagine the big bells at the top of a church. You know, you take that big rope, and you, you jump up, and it you know, holds some of your weight, and you pull down. And then after it gets going, it has a lot of momentum, so you just stand there, and you notice every once in a while you pull the rope. And she's that, with forgiveness, you got to let go of the rope. Got to quit pulling on it. Now, for a little while, there's momentum. The bell's going to continue to ring. But after a while, if you really let go of the rope, that, that noise lessens and lessens and then eventually goes away. So forgiveness is like letting go of the rope. And let me just suggest a couple of ways you do that, and then we'll have some time to talk. Letting go of the rope means you stop bringing it to mind. You stop reliving it. You stop rolling it over in your mind. This this is hard to do. You forgive me, but then on your drive to the, the automobile shop, you're rolling over it in your mind. I can't believe you did. You just roll it over, and part of you forgiveness, part of you just letting go of the rope, is saying, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let that imprison me." See, because you can build a prison for yourself. You get stuck in these prisons that somebody else has done, and you keep replaying the tape, but you're. You're just imprisoning yourself by keeping it alive. So you're going to stop bringing it to mind. Number two, you're not going to take pleasure in the other person experiencing pain. So on your way, you see me and I've gotten in an accident that I caused. Oh, Paul, he, he deserves it. See, that, that's, that, again, that feels good for a moment, doesn't it? Feels good for a moment. C.S. Lewis says this, these, these little things when we're, we're secretly happy, pain is happening to somebody else because we think they deserve it. These are the little marks or twists on the inside of your soul, which in the long run turn you into a hellish creature. Turn you into somebody who wants to choke everybody. I've met a few people like that. They're angry. They're just angry. And they have these little marks on their soul. And I'm not saying they don't have reasons because they've had big dents to them. But the problem is they've turned into this hellish creature. And he goes on to say, this doesn't mean feeling fond of the person. We're not talking about that. It doesn't mean saying they're nice when they're not. But it does mean wishing they're good, that they may in this world or another one day be cured. So I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to say the person's a nice person if they're not a nice person. It's just I'm going to hope for their good. I, I realize that they're an evil person right now, but I'm hoping God could somehow change their heart. I'm hoping for their good. I, that's part of letting go of the rope. And then I'm not going to keep giving it oxygen by bringing it up in conversation. So everybody here who's married, which is quite a few of us, you're not keeping a list. When you say, hey, honey, I forgive you for that, you're not, you may not forget ever, but you're not going to bring it back up in a conversation. Or else you're making her pay. See that? So a year goes by, and, you know, I'm just keeping a little mental tally. 
So when she does something, hey, yeah, remember March? Can you remember August? Can you remember December? Yeah, well, okay. I'm making you pay. wonder how good you are at that. A guy who runs, uh, actually works for International Paper for a while, Forest Ranger. He says, Paul, when you have a forest fire, you have a fire that's above ground and below ground because a lot of organic material in the ground and they're burning more or less sort of simultaneously and you can put out the fire that you see, the trees that are burning, but there, there could still be, and most likely in a forest fire, fire that's underneath the ground. And if you're not careful, if you don't manage that, then it can just continue to burn. You don't see it, but then it pops up, you know, half a mile away, and then you, you've got another forest fire. He said, so really what you need is you need to, the best thing would be a soaking rain. You know, you've got to flood the field so it gets all the way down and puts it out. And I wonder if any of you have just got that. I've put out the visible fire, but underneath I've got a, another fire. That, you know, nobody sees until something happens and then boom, just it lights up. Letting go of the rope. Letting go of the rope. Two more comments here. Forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences. That's an important thing. I can, I can forgive somebody and then put up a barrier to say, hey, we can't have that anymore. In the sermon I said, if, if I found a staff person stealing from the church, I'd be doing two things at the same time. I'd be working on forgiving them and working on firing them. Those two things can go together. They're not exclusive to one to another. Especially, you think about abusive situations. You know, you're going to forgive the person and then let them back in your, your room, your house. No, you're not going to. So, it doesn't mean there aren't consequences. And uh, how do I forgive somebody who's unrepentant? This is talking about a brother comes to you looking for forgiveness, here's how you're supposed to work out. What if the person's damaged you? They don't come back. They have no interest. Maybe they don't even think they've done anything wrong. Are you supposed to forgive them at that point? What would you say? I would say, well, you should extend forgiveness. Can't have repentance until two people are ready to go on the dance. But if you don't somehow extend it and you sort of own it, I think it's going to eat you alive. So there's some way you can extend and say, I'm extending this forgiveness so it doesn't eat me up. I don't know if the other person's ever going to pick up on the other end. Well, that's a big topics. Forgiveness. Here's my first question I want you to ask in your group. <clears throat> Is forgiveness an important leadership characteristic? See, we're here looking at Jesus, and he's teaching his disciples this specific lesson. Peter is going to be the leader of the church. And he's got Peter, you got to get this down. You got to get Matthew 18 down. And I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to demonstrate it in a story so you don't forget. But do you think it's a critical leadership characteristic for your ability to forgive why or why not that's the first question and then the second question 
forgiveness in you. Forgiveness in Spence, forgiveness in Ryan. When you just think forgiveness about me, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I like choking people. Maybe that's what you'd say, you know. I'm good at it except for this one thing. What, what, what is it? And then you can talk about these three uh, characteristics, okay? So I'd get into a group of three or four, have a chance to talk, and then I'll close this in about 15 or 20 minutes. All right, ready? Great. Right.